1 Timothy, if you have your Bibles, we're going to open up to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and uh, verse number 16, and then we'll jump to Hebrews 1, 1 through 2. 1 Timothy 3, 16 says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. And then Hebrews 1, 1 through 2 says, God, who at sun-dry times, everybody say sun-dry times, like you're confused, and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son, and everybody say by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world's For the next few minutes, I would like to preach to you all a sermon entitled, It's a Mystery. It's a Mystery. Let's all pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for this day. Lord God, thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to be in your presence. And Lord God, that we can come and we can worship you freely. Lord, I pray right now for every person under the sound of my voice and even for myself, Lord God, as the the word goes forth today, that we would see you for who you truly are. We would, Lord, that you would be revealed unto us. And Lord God, that we would then go and reveal you to other people, God. I pray that you would help us. I pray that you'd anoint us as we leave this place to to leave and go and speak to people about you and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We give you all the glory, the honor, and praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Anybody in the room a fan of like, you're just a mystery person? You're into, like you, you might like detective shows or maybe books, maybe we shouldn't say shows, I don't know. Uh, but say you like, um, you're into, the, when I was a kid, like the only books I'd really read, I didn't read a lot and I still don't read a lot. Uh, I read the Bible, that's pretty much it. I read the book, uh, but I don't read books. Um, and uh, those books, the, the Hardy Boys books, which were like the murder mystery, if, you, if you've ever read some of those, or... Um, um, you know, the Nancy Drew, you couldn't find me with the Nancy Drew book, maybe by myself, but running around town, you don't want to be like the guy reading the Nancy Drew book. I don't know, maybe you do. Um, but I, I, I like, um, I'm kind of, that stuff intrigues me. I'm like into like mystery stuff, having like not knowing something. You know, the unknown is kind of, is kind of cool and it's, it, you want to figure it out and you want to be the first one to figure it out. You want to be the first one to find something, right? Anyone that finds music, you want to be the one that like uncovered this thing, this mystery of, you know, uh, this band or whatever it is. That's just who we are. That's what we want to do. And I have a cousin who um, is, he's like, he's really more of like a conspiracy. He's into conspiracy theories and things like that. But he, he's a big, like, Bigfoot believer. He's a big, like, he's behind it 100%. He claims that he has seen uh, Bigfoot at a Section 4 youth event. And I'm like, <laughs> I just don't, I'm not saying you're lying. I, I'm just saying you're crazy, you know? And he, he also, like, he's a big believer that Stevie Wonder isn't blind. And, you know, and he says it's true. He's a believer up here. Somebody is. So, and I don't know. I kind of want to believe it. It'd be kind of crazy. He's duping all of us. That's pretty cool, huh? Uh, let's look into that together tonight if you're, if you're free after this. Um, but there's a lot of things out in the world that they're, they're mysteries. And it, it's, it's really tough to uncover. One mystery that's really close to home for me is I used to have this leather jacket. It was a black leather jacket. It had a hood on it and it was really cool. And I got it for Christmas for my parents. And one day the leather jacket was just gone. And you might think you just probably lost it. 
No, I didn't just lose it. Somebody had to have taken that thing. I don't know where it is, but I've gathered you all here today to find out who took my leather jacket because I need to know now where this leather jacket is. It's a mystery, and sometimes mysteries are very, very important to us, but a lot of times it's just the fact that we don't know what happens. We don't really get to uncover this. So it's a little bit interesting when we see Paul writing in 1 Timothy when he says, great is the mystery of godliness. Great is this mystery that, wait, so I can't understand godliness. I'll never know what godliness is because great is the mystery of it. So good luck trying to figure it out. You'll never know what it's like to be godly. You'll never know who God really is. And that, that's confusing at first glance when you read 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. But the actual meaning of of mystery here. If you look into the Greek, it's the word musterion. Everybody say musterion. Say it again, musterion. All right. That word musterion actually means, it would mean mystery, a secret. But if you look deep into the meaning of when this word was most often used, it was when a general would call together his troops to reveal the plan to them. So, Not just great is this mystery of godliness that will never be able to understand it, but rather great is the revelation of godliness. Great is the revelation. When you get it, it's great. The revelation of God, it's great. And he begins to go on and he says, great is the mystery of godliness. And then explains it and says, God was manifest in flesh, justified in the spirit. Seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. He's saying, great is the mystery of godliness when Jesus comes and manifests himself in flesh and he reveals. He reveals himself to you and to I and we see who he is and we see what godliness is. And we see what his plan for our life is. And we see that he is, he is, his sacrifice was the only sacrifice that we'd ever need. He's revealing himself to us by his life. In the writer of Hebrews, he says, who at sundry times and diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken to us by his son. He speaks to us by his son. He speaks to us by by his sonness or the way that he lived or the way that he moved his authority, his power. Everything that we read about Jesus in the gospels is a revelation of who God is. And and it's telling you how you can be godly. You can be like him. It's a revelation. And sometimes mysteries, and we see this throughout, it, it really is like a mystery to people when they first encounter Jesus. Or when he, they spent time with him and they see him do something crazy. Think about when the disciples are on the boat with Jesus and the waves are getting crazy. And they're like, Jesus, wake up. Jesus, wake up. We're going to die. And he's like, you have such little faith. Peace be still. And they say, what manner of man is this? We didn't know. We knew he had power but we didn't know he had power over the wind and the waves. 
We knew that he was, he, he was pretty awesome, but I didn't realize what he really could do. And in a moment, in just an action that Jesus says, peace be still, he reveals to himself that there is no storm too great. There is no storm. There is nothing physically that could ever stand against my power and stand against my authority. And he explains this and he shows this by his son, by his example, by what we see in Scripture. He wouldn't just do this by his power, but sometimes he would do this by the way he treated others or the impact that you would see that he would have in someone's life. He would go against these social norms. It was, it was odd. When Jesus goes and he sees Zacchaeus, I know your pastor just told me he preached about this last Sunday, but he sees Zacchaeus in the tree, a tax collector that nobody loved, that nobody wanted to spend time with. He was a sellout. He was against the Jews. He wasn't deserving in a lot of people's mind of salvation. But Jesus says, today, Zacchaeus, I want to be in your house. And people begin to murmur. And they say, what is he doing going to the house of a notorious sinner? What is he doing? And it's a mystery to them that this guy who, is, who seems godly... He's doing miracles. He's performing signs and wonders. But you want to go to how, the house of a sinner? And they can't understand it. But through Jesus' example, he shows that the Son of Man did not come to, with a powerful arm and to shut down every sinner. But he's come to seek and save that which were lost. And there's this revelation that no matter how far you are and no matter how many people don't love you and no matter how many people talk ill against you and no matter how many people try to keep Jesus from you, that he, is, he has come to seek and to save you. Zacchaeus that day had a revelation that he wasn't just there for anybody. He was there to save Zacchaeus. He was there to save him. And there's this revelation that Jesus loves sinners. And Jesus wants to change sinners' lives. You could go throughout all scripture and you could find every moment and, and try to look and say, what is Jesus revealing here? And you will find an answer. You will find what he's trying to reveal to people by his example, by his teachings. You don't have to look very far. You can find these things. There's one particular example that I want to talk about tonight, and that is that of Nathaniel, one of the disciples that was called John 1, 45 through 51, if you have that. It says, Philip findeth Nathaniel and saith unto him, We have found him, of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Which should be in every single Christian's mouth. When somebody says, Where? What Jesus are you talking about? Come and see. Come to my church and see. Come to my house. Let me open up this scripture. Come and see what, who I'm talking about. So Philip says, Nathanael, it'd be better if you just came and saw him for yourself. 
And verse 47 says, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. And Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Jesus sees Nathanael, and Nathanael is like, all right, let's see what this guy's all about. Let's see, what, let's see what Philip knows what he's talking about. This is really the Messiah. And Jesus says, I saw you. He starts telling him about his life. Starts telling him about, you're a man with no guile. And Nathaniel's like, how do you know me? How do you know about me? And Jesus says, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. I knew you long before you ever came up here. Before you ever came to see me, I knew your life. I knew what you were going through. I knew what you were facing. I knew that you could barely get yourself here tonight. I knew that. But I've come to reveal some more things to you, Nathaniel, because you believed just by me saying that you, you saw me under the fig tree. You believe? Just wait until I feed the 5,000. Just wait when you follow me to see what I'm gonna do and I'm gonna heal the blind eyes and I'm gonna open them up and they're gonna see and I'm gonna cast out demons. You just wait, Nathaniel, because there's a lot more in store for you. Nathaniel sees, Jesus sees Nathaniel under the fig tree. If you look at what under the fig tree means and you try to study that out, rabbis would say this when they were talking about meditating on the scripture. So Nathaniel is meditating on the scripture. He's sitting there putting himself in a, he's been searching. Who is this Messiah? I gotta meet this Messiah. It's not the first time they've ever talked about the Messiah. He was hungry. He wanted something. And Philip shows up and he says, we found him. The one, the Messiah. Nathaniel, get up. We gotta go. And Nathaniel gets there and Jesus not only tells him where he's been, but he tells him what he's gonna do. Jesus sees you in your darkest moments. He sees you whenever all you can do is sit there and pray, God, why is this happening to me? You're sitting under the fig tree, you're studying, you're teaching Bible studies, you're doing your P7 club, but nobody comes and nothing happens. And you feel worthless and you feel like you've been searching for God's power and his authority. You've been wanting it. You've been asking for it. But today is the day you're going to have to come and see. You're going to have to come up and listen to what he sees you under the tree. He sees everything you've ever faced, everything you've ever gone through. But he's ready to tell you now what he's going to do in you. What he's going to show through you. Just wait, JB, just wait until God's done in your life. 
he tells him, it's a really interesting thing. It, sound, it seems almost random. And so many times when I'm reading Jesus' response to people, I'm like, what is this dude talking about? Like, what is he saying? And he says, you believe me, Nathaniel, just because I said I saw you under the fig tree? That's awesome. He's a quick believer. <laughs> I've, taught, I've done a lot of campus ministry. doesn't matter what you tell people sometimes. They're not going to believe. I would love a quick believer like that. Hey, Jesus knows your name. Let's get baptized. Like, that would be awesome. It'd be really awesome if that was the way it happened in campus ministry. And I'm telling you, it has not been my, the way it happened for me. And, but he tells him, he says, you'll see greater things than these. You'll see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. If you go and you look at the previous time that, that those words are mentioned, it's in the book of Genesis. When Jacob has fled, he's left, he's found himself with no family, nobody. He's living in Luz, which was a dark, terrible place. Whether that meant that he was just in a dark, terrible place or Luz was that. It, it was, he found himself in a situation in a place he did not want to be in. He's sleeping on a rock. And when Jacob wakes up, he has this ladder dream. Ladder dream of angels ascending and descending upon this ladder. And he wakes up and he says, this is no longer Luz, but this is Bethel, the house of God. So Nathaniel, very likely, we're talking about somebody who studied the word, who was under the fig tree, meditating upon scriptures. It's likely Nathaniel read this and probably knew it. And he sits and he tells him, Oh, you're going to see greater things than this, Nathaniel. You're going to see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He's telling him, what you think was the house of God, it's all right here. The temple, everything that you thought you knew, you, all, you thought it was the holy of holies. You thought that it was only for certain people that could access. No, I'm in front of you right now. The house of God is here. The power and the authority is right in front of you. And what you're going to see, you are never going to forget, Nathaniel. If you just pick up and you just follow me, you're going to see some power. You're going to see some people be saved. If you'll just follow him. Then the next chapter, this is kind of slow, I'm sorry. But the next chapter Jesus goes into the temple and he is so upset because they made the temple a marketplace. And he goes and he starts turning tables. What are you doing? Turning tables. And they look at him and they said, who gave you the authority to do this? Who said you could walk into this temple and you could turn it upside down? And he looks at them and he says, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. Who gave me authority to destroy the temple? I am the temple. I am the light of the world. I am the one who embodies the, the fullness of God. I am God manifest in flesh. You don't have to look any further. What are you worried about this temple for? I'm here. I'm in front of you. You know how many times we're looking for God in, in places where he's not even there? 
You're looking for him in relationship. You're looking for him in whatever you can find. One sermon, he's going to speak to me. If I just listen to this podcast, he'll speak to me. You know what you need? A relationship with the temple of God, with Jesus Christ. He is what is going to bring you through. You want to see, you see your family saved? Show them Jesus. You want people to speak in other tongues? Show them Jesus. You want revival? Let them hear you preach Jesus. He's the fullness of the Godhead. Bodily. Turn the temple over. It don't matter what you do. I'm here. I'm the one. And he tells him, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise this temple up. And through all this time, this is John chapter 2. This is the beginning of the gospel of John. A lot of things happen. I wonder if when he heals some people and he starts delivering some people, they're like, all right. Maybe this, is, maybe this guy knows what he's talking about. And he heals people and he delivers people. And he sits among sinners and he relaxes and reclines like we talked about last night. He's not too good for their sin. He sits with them and he loves them and he shows them and he does a lot of things. And it's a mystery the whole time until he gets to the point where he's really come to reveal himself. When there were sins piled so high that they could never get really rid of, they could have the high priest make some sacrifice, they could do what they could, but they could really never make it happen. And we see Jesus reveals himself as this spotless lamb. We know the story. He's crucified for you and for me. He dies for us. And three days later, what do you know it? He's risen. And the words he speaks in that temple are brought to pass. But there's one disciple who like just can't wrap his mind around it because he's back. Go tell Peter. We know it, right? Most of us. He, he's back and he's better than ever. And it's just amazing. And Thomas says, I don't know if I believe it. I'm not so sure about this, Peter. I'm not so sure about this, guys. Unless I see him, unless he shows me personally, I've heard your stories. I've heard what you've seen. But I've got to see God work in my own life. Because I'm not going to believe it unless I see it. And Thomas shows up where Jesus is. And Jesus says, come here, Thomas. I know your doubts. I know you, I, I know you don't believe. I know you, you, can't, you can't wrap your mind around how I did this. But let me reveal something to you, Thomas. It's about to captivate your whole mind and everything that you, you're about to see something you've never seen before. And he says, why don't you put your fingers in my nail prints? 
And why don't you put your hand in my side? You want to see him? You want to see God do something in your life? He just come get close. Just come and do this. And as Thomas puts his hands in the side of Jesus, and as Thomas sees these nail prints, I wonder if he just thought, oh, he was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace was upon him. And he carried all of my sin and all of my shame. And he bore it on the cross. And Thomas has this moment where he sees Jesus for who he is. Today, Jesus Christ is in this room. And if you wonder if God can save you, if you wonder if he died for you, I'd like to show you some nail prints. I'd like to show you, a, I'd like to show you his side. I'd like to tell you that he's here to show you what he's done in your life. He's died on a cross, not just for me, but for you. The musicians would come. He's being revealed all over the world. Everything you read is true. Anybody ever had, anybody was ever bound, been set free by Jesus? Any, anybody ever been filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues as the Spirit of God gave the utterance? You ever been baptized in Jesus' name, have the sins washed away? You ever walked into a hopeless situation, but you walked out with hope because he gave you hope? Have you seen it done in your life? <laughs> Constantly, daily, God is trying to reveal himself to people and to you and to show you. He's trying to speak to you by his son. By him, by his power. And he's trying to tell you, you're not alone. Zacchaeus, I see you in that tree. Nathaniel, I see when you read that scripture. And I see that you won't give up. I see that you're searching. He is looking and he, he wants to reveal himself. And he wants to reveal himself to the world. Colossians, as we all stand. Colossians chapter 1, 27 says this. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Which is Christ in you. The hope of all glory. I've come to tell a young person this really fast. The divine presence of God has always had a place where it was like, the, the locus. It was like, this is where it is and it radiates out from it. Think of your closet maybe. And think about a light bulb and how the light bulb is where that source comes from, but it radiates throughout the whole closet, right? And at first we can see this in Eden. Then you can go and you can look and you can see the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies. Where they went, they took the tabernacle with them. The temple. They, it, it had to be with them. They, if they wanted forgiveness for sins, it came with them. And then Jesus comes on the scene, turns over the temple and says, look at me. I'm the light of the world. 
It's this process that we try, that we understand. And I've come to tell a young person today that Brandon, the source of God's presence and everything that you think about who God is, and if you want people to be saved, salvation, the gospel, it is not meant to be given to people by the tabernacle. JB, hear me right now. I'm not trying to ruffle feathers. I will please understand me. It's not the physical body of Jesus. He had one, there was one sacrifice and there is no need for another. But his body is not meant to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. He didn't just get tired and say, oh, I'm going to go ascend back into heaven. That wasn't his plan. He wasn't like, I'm getting weary. Let me go take a break. His, what he ordained for God, for the gospel to be shared to your family and to your friends and to everyone that will ever hear it is Christ in you. It is not some other. It's not some other person. It is Christ in you. If you want people to be healed, then start sharing Christ. Start showing Christ. If you want salvation to be poured out in your city, then you need, it's going to be done by Christ in you. The hope of all glory. It wasn't by accident that you've been placed where you're placed. And you're around the people that you're around and you're working where you work. His choice was you. If I'm going to accomplish anything, it's going to be by my people. And I told you all the stories of what Jesus is because we need to get captivated by what he's done. You need to be captivated by his saving power. And you need to be captivated by what he can do in your life. And you need to take that power. You need to take that captivation. And you need to go captivate the world. Not by your power and not by your smarts, and not by your humor, and not by your personality, but Christ in you, the hope of glory. If we are gonna see anything, it's gonna be because of Christ in you. You want people to be captivated. Live holy, separated lives. It'll be a mystery to them. How do they... How do they have all these rules and regulations? And it seems like they, they've got to be at church every Sunday. They've got to go every Wednesday. They teach extra Bible studies. They don't party. They don't have fun. It's a mystery to them. But you know what it really is? It's a revelation to them of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done in your life. If you just keep yourself holy, keep yourself set apart, I'm telling you right now, somebody will see it. Somebody will believe it. And you tell them about the goodness of Jesus and they'll be captivated by him and they'll want to know him.
my buddy, I shared this at, I shared this at senior high camp. So sorry if you were there, but I feel led to say it. I have two friends. One's name's Dalton, one's name is Evan. And I'm like majorly out of breath right now. And Dalton had major depression. He grew up in church. He was suicidal. And many times he, he thought about killing himself. He tried to kill himself. And Dalton at a youth week comes up to an altar. He's sitting in the back. He won't come up to the front. And the preacher points at him and says, come here. He was this close to killing himself. And the preacher says, get up here. And Dalton comes to the altar, grew up in church. Just because you grew up in church doesn't mean that you might not deal with depression. You're not alone. You might be going through some things, some dark times in your life. It's real. And Dalton comes to the altar, throws his hands in the air. And God delivers him. Dalton's very next Monday night is the first time he ever comes to campus ministry. He gets locked into our campus ministry, teaching every week. He's very involved. Dalton had a classmate named Evan who was like his least favorite person. They hated each other. Mortal enemies. And in the degree program they were in, they had very, very, like it was competition, a lot of competition between them. And one day, Evan had just had it. He was so depressed. <laughs> he had tried to kill himself. His story is, is that he actually, he knocked out the window in his apartment. He knew that the jump and the fall couldn't kill him, but he said, I just needed to feel something. And he tells Dalton all this, and Dalton tells him, he says, man, I've been there too. <laughs> I've been there, I was gonna kill myself. <laughs> I was gonna lay my life down. I was finished. I gave up. But God changed my life. As simple as that. God changed my life. God revealed himself to Dalton in a real way that only Dalton could experience. He could only be touched by that. And then I walk out to a car after a class. There's someone with depression that just like he had. And he says, let me reveal something to you. Let me tell you something that you don't have to be depressed. There's a God that can set you free. Evan... Evan comes to our campus ministry the very first time. The moment he walks into our campus ministry, his testimony is, is that he never drank again, he never smoked again, he never cussed again, just because the presence of God was there. Because God revealed himself to Evan in that moment. Months later, Evan texts me at three in the morning. I still have the text, I'll never get rid of it. Why at three in the morning? I don't know. Why are you up? But thank God that he was because at three in the morning, I get a text message that says, Wes, I want to be baptized in Jesus' name. You know why? 
Two weeks earlier, I gave him a pamphlet. I didn't even tell him. I gave him a pamphlet about baptism in Jesus' name. I said, you're a smart guy. I think you can read this and I think you'll gather whatever it is that you need out of this. He reads it, he texts me, I see it. I wanna be baptized in Jesus' name. Months later, four months later, seeking for the Holy Ghost, cannot, I mean, just, it's like, cannot get it, it feels like. And I'm like, Lord, fill him right now, you know? Like, you're like really upset. And he comes to the altar one day, or with one of our COVID services. The preacher preaches, and Evan's actually in the second row. And I'm playing the drums for altar call. And I see that he's praying. I look at another one of the drummers and I tell him to come here and I go and I go pray for Evan. And Evan starts, and nothing to do with me, not because I was over there. He begins to speak in other tongues as the spirit of God gave the utterance. A month and a half ago, this has been years now, two years, Evan Meyer just preached his first Sunday sermon at our church. He's more knowledgeable about the word than anybody that I know. He's become one of the hyphen that I go to and I say, is this biblically correct? And he says, I think so. And I trust him. You know how it happens? Because God reveals himself to you. He reveals himself through you. You've got to reveal yourself. You've got to reveal Jesus. You are the mystery. You're the revelation. I want to open these altars tonight to someone who's got a newfound revelation about their purpose in life. You've got a newfound revelation about what God can do through you and do in you. Come on right now. It's not, you haven't gone through what you've gone through by happenstance. There's a purpose. There's a plan. Christ in you, the hope of glory. If someone's going to see glory, if they're going to see heaven, if they're going to see his face, it's going to be because somebody showed them. Your life's a mystery. Your life's a revelation. It speaks to people. The gospel saving power is in your story. It's in your mouth. It's in your life. He healed me. He delivered me. He set me free. He saved me. Come on, Dalton, don't give up. Come on, Dalton, don't take your life. Someone's got to see you. Someone's got to see Jesus. Let him reveal himself to you right now. Let him reveal his power to you right now. Let him reveal his purpose for you right now.